This podcast is proudly produced and presented by the Zoomer Podcast Network, home of great podcasts like Marilyn Lightstone Reads, Idea City on the Air, and The Garden Show. You're listening to an exclusive podcast of The Conspiracy Show with Richard Serrett. Heard every Sunday night from 11 p.m. to 1 a.m. on Zoomer Radio, the new AM740. You're listening to an exclusive podcast of The Conspiracy Show with Richard Serrett. Heard every Sunday night from 11 p.m. to 1 a.m. on Zoomer Radio, the new AM740. Live from Toronto, Canada, The Conspiracy Show with Richard Serrett from Zoomer Radio, AM740. All right, welcome to the Audio Imaginarium. It's great to be with you, and we are saying so long to summer. Coming to you from our flagship station, Zoomer Radio, in Liberty Village, Toronto, Canada. Uh, and for those of you listening in the Toronto area, if the amplitude modulation isn't working for you, just flip over to 96.7 FM, and it sounds great, i got to tell you. Uh, Albert is here running our Hangout on Air, or HOA, as the kids call it. Uh, if you want to watch the live stream of this program on YouTube while you're listening on the radio or however you want to do it, just uh, go to my Twitter feed, at Richard Serrett. Find the tweet near the top of the feed that says HOA. Click on that, and you are in, my friends. You'll see me in studio. You might even catch a glimpse of Albert here with me, but he's kind of shy and elusive. Rather mysterious, Albert is. You can also see our guests who will be on the webcam from their respective locations. Uh, Hey, listen to this. We now have 1,000 registered users, over 1,000 registered users on the Conspiracy Show app. So if you haven't got it yet, why not? First of all, why not? (laughs) If you don't, it's a free download from iTunes and Google Play for those of you uh, on Android. Wow, we are approaching the 14th anniversary of the 9-11 attacks. Can you believe that? 14 years. Uh, And we have a member of the 9-11 consensus panel standing by to offer up the best evidence that really contradicts, uh, tears down, some might say, smashes it into tiny pieces, (laughs) the official version of events that have been spoon-fed us by the uh, the MSM, the mainstream media. Uh, we'll get to that shortly. I just want to uh, bring this to your attention. Coming up in a few weeks, L.A. Marzulli, author of the Nephilim Trilogy and uh, also the Watchers television series, uh, will be here in Toronto along with Carl Gallops, the author of Final Warning. And they'll, they'll be here in Toronto Wednesday, November, November the 4th. Wednesday, November the 4th at the Oise Auditorium, the University of Toronto, right there on Bloor, uh, for an event called As in the Days of Noah. And in the coming weeks, L.A. Marzulli and Carl Gallops will be on the program. Uh, As in the Days of Noah, Wednesday, November the 4th, and tickets are now on sale at Conspiracy Culture. Conspiracyculture.com is the website. As in the Days of Noah, Wednesday, November the 4th, conspiracyculture.com to order tickets. Okay, uh, Graham McQueen uh, is here, and he is the founding director of the Center for Peace Studies at McMaster University, where he taught for 30 years. He's co-editor of the Journal of 9-11 Studies. He holds a Ph.D. in Buddhist Studies from Harvard University. He's also a member of the 9-11 Consensus Panel. Graham McQueen, welcome to The Conspiracy Show. How are you? 
I'm doing fine. Thanks for having me on, Richard. My pleasure. Uh, I was thinking back, you know, I, I, I was hosting a program just like this one on another radio station uh, during 2001. And I tell you, after 9-11, it was pretty difficult to talk about anything else. I mean, for years, uh, when you're doing a program like this, it seemed yep. like that's all anyone wanted to talk about. And then for a few years, I was actually doing this show for five nights a week. And now we're talking 2007 up, in, up until 2009. And again, 9-11 loomed large. If we weren't talking about 9-11, it seemed like all roads linked back. Uh, and uh, maybe it's me... Uh, Graham, but it seems like things, uh, 14 years on, and it's somewhat understandable, seem to be quieting down. And I'm wondering, is that my, uh, just a, an erroneous perception, or are people starting to throw up their hands? Maybe we've resigned ourselves to the likelihood we'll never know the whole story. What do you think? Well, <clears throat> I'm really hesitant to give my my guesses, because this the this is actually the kind of thing that people study, you know. They take all these detailed polls and questionnaires, and then they try and figure out where people are on this. I haven't read any of the polls recently. The last time I looked, it was about a third of the population in North America, both in the U.S. and Canada, that had doubts about the official story. Which is huge, a third. That's a huge it number. It's yeah. a lot of people. So, you know, politicians often don't get that, so they... They make these offhand, disparaging comments about anyone who would question the official story. They don't realize they're insulting a lot of people out there who might vote for them. Right. Um, but well, anyway. I, I get that, that you don't necessarily, you know, you're not conducting polls. But what about in your, in your circle? What are you, your colleagues? Are they despairing? Well, are they noticing a sea okay. change? Well, no, it's a fair question. Um, the reason I was being so cautious is that obviously I don't move in ordinary circles, right? I mean, I hang <laughs> I'm out guessing that's correct, yes. Most of the people I hang out with and work with and communicate with know perfectly well that 9-11 was a fraud, they know the whole global war on terror is a fraud, and they work with that every day. So I could easily be living in a little bubble here where I think everybody's on to it, and uh, only to discover, hey, they're not. <laughs> you know? but, um, but let me try approaching it a different way. Uh, obviously, not everyone that I know and that I meet is into this. Um, I can only say that within my own circle of friendships, People have been slowly getting on to it. And, of course, part of that's me. I've tried to be persistent, not too shrill, just offering a little bit here, a little bit there. And especially among my colleagues, uh, other university profs that I know from my years at McMaster, uh, initially the idea that this was an inside job was met with disbelief. And um, certainly among those that I know well, that has slowly melted away. And there are increasing number of them, numbers of them who say, okay, you know, we don't know exactly what did happen, but you're certainly right that it wasn't what the official story says. So I see progress that way. Graham McQueen is here. He is a, a member of the 9-11 Consensus Panel and co-editor of the Journal of 9-11 Studies. He also has a book out entitled, or rather titled, uh, it's not entitled, it's titled, The 2001 Anthrax Deception, The Case for a Domestic Conspiracy. I don't know if we'll have time to get into that. If not, we'll have you back on to talk about that aspect of this. Um, but here's, this, this is kind of a, strict, a sticky wicket for me. I, I mean, I've been on record for a long time uh, saying that, you know, that, that someone on the inside either, you know, 
let it happen or made it happen or a combination of both. Right. Um, but it has almost become in certain quarters of the 9-11 truth movement, and I, 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 I don't like using, you know, words like community and so forth. However, uh, when you – you see, I'm not a demolitions expert, and I've, I've interviewed people like Richard Gage from, for Architects and Engineers and, and others. Yep. Uh, and, I, and I, you know, I'm not an explosives expert, and the, and the evidence to someone like me uh, seems rather compelling. And then you talk to demolition experts and say, well, no, 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 how can you wire – on a 110-story building. How could you do that? And, uh, well, that's an interesting point, too. The, the thing is, I think you can still believe that it was an inside job, and there's lots of evidence to suggest. I mean, to me, Occam's razor suggests it's an inside job. The simplest explanation is it's an inside job. But if you question, it's become almost this orthodoxy uh, that it was controlled demolition. And I'm, I'm not saying one way or the other. I just have doubts. What, how do you respond to that? I mean, well... I think it's perfect. Your position is perfectly legitimate. You have doubts. You're not sure. You haven't made up your mind. You think it's valid to ask questions. Really, that's that's all I try to persuade people to do most of the time. Mm-hmm. Instead of stigmatizing us and calling us idiots and nuts, um, you know, listen to us. Um, engage in dialogue and conversation. Now, on the issue of the the buildings coming down, there is a new booklet that's going to be out um, in a few days, and I don't know if you know about it yet, but I want to give it a plug if I can. Please do. Yeah, so it's put out by Architects and Engineers for 9-11 Truth. So mm-hmm. it's produced by an organization made up mainly of building professionals. So these are people who do know actually a lot about buildings. Right, right. And the booklet... Um, for your listeners, you, they can order it easily online, either by going to the Architects and Engineers for 9-11 Truth website or by uh, just looking at, under the title. The title is Beyond Misinformation, Okay. What Science Says About the Destruction of World Trade Center Buildings 1, 2, and 7. All right. Now, I, I've been one of the guys who's been on the review panel for this booklet. We get all the drafts, we comment, we say this is convincing, this isn't, this should be changed. So I've read it and I'm saying this is good, okay? It doesn't, it seems to me that it would be difficult for anyone to read that booklet with an open mind and come away thinking the official story of the collapse of those buildings was correct. It can't be correct. And you don't actually have to be a demolitions expert to know that it can't be correct. Well, I will. I, I, I look forward to looking at physics. that. I look forward to looking at that. Uh, I mean, sure. Uh, uh, you know, we have we have uh, lots of anecdotal evidence of explosions in the basement. We have uh, uh, the the, uh, the caretaker at the uh, World Trade Center tower whose name escapes me, uh, uh, who who swore up and down he was in the basement and he heard there were explosions in the basement prior to. Uh, the supposed impact of the planes and so forth. You're right. There's just uh, so reams and reams of of, uh, of evidence that we're not getting the full story. Um, let's let's walk through some of that uh, evidence. And let sure. me ask you the, the, the question I referenced earlier, and that is, how do you, if it is controlled demolition? Um, and I'm hope I'm I hope I'm not asking you to speculate too much, but I mean, would it be? Is it feasible? Is it has it ever been done before to wire a 110 story building, or do you even need to do that anymore? Well, I approach this from a different perspective, Richard. Um, I approach it from the perspective of what they're telling us happened, okay? Um, they're, they, meaning, you know, the government of the United States and the official agencies that have carried out 
the examination of the buildings, especially the National Institute of Standards and Technology, which came out with these very long studies um, of the, uh, the three buildings that underwent complete and rapid destruction on 9-11, buildings 1, 2, and 7. So um, what do I do? Well, I read the reports uh, on 1, 2, and 7 put out by the official agencies. I read them carefully. I read thousands of pages. I try and sort out what it means. No, I'm not a demolitions expert, but of course they don't discuss demolitions. Uh, I'm not a, an architect or an engineer. My training is very different. But these are not particularly difficult um, studies, frankly, to understand. <clears throat> so I try and see if they make sense, and then I read critiques of them, and then I do my own research on eyewitness evidence. So I don't start from, gee, how could they be wired for destruction? I start from, here's the story we're told is correct. And at the end of the day, I say, there's no way that happened. There's no way that could have happened. You know, like Building 7, for example, you cannot have a building 47 stories high and make it come down at freefall acceleration symmetrically and suddenly. Yeah, that is that is definitely <laughs> I mean, it wasn't odd. even hit by a plane, right? Correct, correct. And it did not have major structural damage from the collapse of World Trade one, which at one point people said it did. And it did not, it was not a raging inferno at the time it came down. We know that now. All right. Listen, uh, I've got to take a, a time out here, Graham. Sure. Stay put. We'll come back on the other side. Graham McQueen from the 9-11 Consensus Panel and also uh, the uh, founding director of the Center for Peace Studies at McMaster University just down the road in Hamilton. Back with more of The Conspiracy Show. My name is Richard Serrett. Stay with us. Welcome back to The Conspiracy Show. Richard Serrett with you. And uh, joining us on the line is Graham McQueen. Uh, from the uh, 9-11 consensus panel. And um, you, you mentioned Building 7 uh, earlier, Graham. I remember reading uh, Popular Mechanics, which, uh, if memory serves, is a... Uh, is that not a Hearst publication? <laughs> now we lost... Uh, did we lose Graham? Okay. Uh, if you want to maybe pot that down there, Matt, we're having some difficulties on the other side. We have lost our guest. All right. Uh, we'll try and get uh, Graham McQueen back in just a few moments, and uh, we'll continue to talk about 9-11. Let me give you a, a heads up as well. What's uh, coming up? Rosemary Ellen Guiley will uh, be making her long return to the program next week. It's been a while. Rosemary's very busy in the summer uh, on uh, attending various conferences and, in, and different investigations and uh, so forth. Uh, but she returns next week on the program at her usual time, and uh, we'll, uh, we'll do our paranormal news roundup. Uh, also coming up on the program, uh, we're trying to get a hold of Jim Mars. Jim Mars is coming back to Toronto in October. Our good friends Patrick and Kadena down at Conspiracy Culture have uh, Jim Mars coming to town, and uh, we'll get some more details on that. Uh, so we'll try to get Jim here to talk about, I'm sure he's working on uh, something. He's always writing whenever I call uh, or talk to Jim down in Texas. Uh, and then L.A. Marzulli, uh, of course, from The Watchers television series, if you're familiar with that whole arena uh, of discussion revolving around uh, the Nephilim, fallen angels, and uh, and so forth. He'll be with us, the author of the Nephilim Trilogy, L.A. Morzuli, and uh, our good friend Carl Gallops, Pastor Carl Gallops, author of Final Warning, uh, will be with us as well. And that's all leading up to their appearance in Toronto 
on Wednesday, November the 4th. Wednesday, November the 4th, uh, down at the Oise Auditorium. All right, do we have uh, Graham McQueen back? Are you there, Graham? Do we have Graham? I'm not hearing him. Are you there, Graham? One more time. I'm here. Yeah, okay. All right. Uh, All right. We were talking about Building 7 earlier. Right. And uh, I remember reading uh, uh, Popular Mechanics, and I was just, I think I was about to say that I think that was a Hearst publication, (laughs) which is sort of the uh, the ground zero for yellow journalism and and so forth. However, uh, you remember uh, William Randolph Hearst, you you provide the war, and I'll uh, I'll provide the war, and you give me the pictures. Right. (laughs) Uh, And, and, Popular Mechanics did this whole uh, uh, hatchet piece trying to debunk 9-11, and they maintained that one-third of Building 7, they said there was massive structural damage, although I don't don't recall seeing any pictures, but they said there was one-third of the building was literally scooped out. But if that's the case, I mean, you wouldn't think it would fall symmetrically. You would think it would just kind of tilt over and Yeah, well, actually, one-third of the building was not scooped out, regardless of what they said. We know much, much more now than when that was written. Mm -hmm. And uh, for for listeners who are interested, David Ray Griffin dealt in detail with the allegations of popular mechanics several years ago in a book called Debunking, 9-11 Debunking. So all those claims about it having Building 7 having been badly structurally damaged so that it could have come down because of that, this was actually found to be incorrect by the U.S. government agency itself. I mean, when the National Institute of Standards and Technology published their final report on Building 7, it pretty much blew uh, popular mechanics and a number of similar uh, publications out of the water because they said, well, actually, the the structural damage was not significant enough to explain the collapse of this building. And similarly, all the the supposed raging inferno caused by the oil stored in the building, well, no, actually, that wasn't true. Diesel fuel, right. That wouldn't be enough to melt steel. Well, it wasn't enough to melt steel, but also they had very little, there was very little evidence that that had uh, been a significant factor. A great deal of that oil was actually taken out of the building after the collapse. Um, It's still stored there. Um, So a lot of these things we heard that were supposed to explain how that building came down have no official support uh, any more than they have support from those of us who spent a long time studying it from an alternative perspective. They're still hanging out there on the Internet, but they've been... um, tossed aside years ago. Um, the other thing I need, wanted to say to you was, you know, I, when I was speaking to you about the collapse of these buildings, I came at it from the point of view of it's obvious the official story is false, and I, I, I would continue to affirm that. But there's also positive evidence of controlled demolition here that, that we, we have to be clear about. I don't know how many listeners are familiar with it, but the evidence of extremely high temperatures uh, that, that was undergone by these buildings before they collapsed is is really important. I mean, there's no way that the jet fuel or the office fires could have caused steel to evaporate, um, could have caused lead to evaporate, could have, could have produced molten molybdenum, which all these things take extremely high temperatures. There's no way the uh, official fire story works. Secondly, there is the nanothermite found in the dust in large quantities by independent researchers. Um, again, this 
does not fit the official story. This is a sophisticated military-grade stuff which can be used either as an incendiary or an explosive. And thirdly, the eyewitnesses, you mentioned anecdotal accounts, and the, the accounts you mentioned are certainly interesting, but the listeners have to have to realize that we're not talking about one or two stories that people told here. I myself compiled a list of 156 eyewitnesses, okay, that witnessed explosions, and this is just in the two buildings, this doesn't count, doesn't count seven, just in the Twin Towers themselves. 156 people, um, and, you know, I think it's perfectly clear if you read these accounts that there were explosions and that they were not the explosions that we would normally expect in a high-rise fire. I've dealt with this in stuff I've written, and if people get the book that I suggested earlier, uh, Beyond Misinformation, uh, they go through this systematically. Uh, and talk to me a little bit about uh, nanothermite. And I understand that there were traces of it discovered on the rooftops of buildings, you know, blocks and blocks away, along with, with bone fragments, parts of human remains, which would tend to suggest some sort of an explosion? Well, nanothermite um, is a sophisticated form of thermite. The basic, uh, again, I'm not a chemist, but this isn't really all that complicated. Um, ordinary thermite is something that uh, is not all that uncommon. The most common formula is basically rust, in other words, iron oxide, mixed with um, powdered aluminum. And uh, when it's ignited, this mixture, at very high temperatures, which is what it takes to ignite it, it goes, a chemical reaction is produced, and we get um, aluminum oxide, uh, which we can see in usually kind of a white cloud, and elemental iron, um, the element iron, which you can see often running away from this. And, of course, there, was, there were copious amounts of yellow liquid flowing from the towers just before they came down, either iron or steel in a molten form. So, um, and there's video evidence or photographic evidence. Of oh that, yeah, correct? I mean it's it's really clear, and even the National Institute of Standards and Technology can't deny that there's this liquid pouring out of the buildings. So um, so that's thermite, and thermite would be something that could be used to weaken uh, the structure of the building. It's no one that I know of is suggesting that's the only thing that would be used to bring them down, but it's an obvious agent that could have been used. So what they, what some scientists did was uh, look through the dust. They were given samples of the dust from a variety of locations, and they were careful with chain of custody. This is the person that gave it to me. This is when they gave it. This is when it was collected. This was where it was collected. They then looked at it in detail, and they found, as I said, a sophisticated form of thermite. <coughs> the, uh, if you want to put it this way, the particles of thermite are extremely, extremely small, and uh, and that means the chemical reaction takes place more vigorously, and um, so that this stuff can be used not only to melt things but also as an explosive. 
What's it doing in the dust? So in other words, uh, Graham, one doesn't need – if you want to bring these buildings down, and we've seen this countless times, these hotels along the Strip in Las Vegas uh, that come down, you know, perfectly uh, often within their own footprint if it's done correctly. And these things take months and months to wire. What you're saying with something like nanothermite, you wouldn't need to wire the building. You would just need to strategically place the nanothermite. Well, I don't know what people mean when they say wire the buildings. You don't – I don't think you literally need wires anymore. You need to ex- you need to place your explosives in different parts of the building, and you need to have a system by which you can signal, you know, and make them go off uh, at the right time. Um, and whether it's thermite or, or what it's used, what, whatever it is, it would have had to be, been done in advance, and they would have to be placed very carefully in just the right locations. Uh, when people say, oh, it's too complicated, it couldn't be done, I, I have to kind of, you know, I, I get really puzzled because what they're really saying is you could bring down three massive steel skyscrapers by hitting two of them with jets, and you could bring them down in a way that looks like a controlled demolition, and that's not a problem for us somehow. But but it couldn't be an actual controlled demolition because that would be too hard. In other words, it would be too hard to bring them down with explosives, but you could bring them down with, with a couple of planes. I mean, I All think right. that, that doesn't make any sense. There's that music uh, percolating up, so we'll take a time out. We'll come back. Graham McQueen stays with us. Uh, we'll talk about buildings 4, 5, and 6. People forget about buildings 4, 5, and 6. They suffered far greater damage. Uh, as a result of the uh, explosion and the, uh, the the impact of the planes, and yet they didn't topple down the way Building 7 did or the North and South Tower. So we'll talk about that and much more. 9-11, the consensus panel, right here on The Conspiracy Show. My name is Richard Serrett. Don't go away. Say hello on uh, Twitter, at Richard Serrett. Graham McQueen stays with us. Uh, everyone talks about uh, the North and South Towers and, of course, Building 7, uh, but we forget there were other buildings in the World Trade Center complex, Buildings 4, 5, and 6. Now, uh, they were they were hit pretty hard by debris and so forth. What happened to those buildings? Well, um, I don't know the uh, nature of the damage to 4, 5, and 6 well enough to discuss it in detail. Never focused on it. But I do want to say one or two things. First of all, um, basically the whole World Trade Center, which was a massive complex, mm-hmm. was destroyed. By, uh, and we're led to believe the whole thing was destroyed by two airplanes. Um, now, the, the nature of the destruction of the buildings varied. In the case of 1, 2, and 7, those are the ones this booklet I've been talking about concentrates on. And it's the one. those are the ones I've concentrated on simply because... They look like controlled demolition, and right. they involve the rapid destruction, and we might even say pulverization of three massive buildings. The other buildings suffered different kinds of damage, but they all had to be taken down. They were useless. Right. Uh, they were ruined. My understanding was that 4, 5, and 6, uh, they had fires raging uh, inside them for, for far more, uh, for far longer uh, than Building 7. In fact, suffered far more serious structural damage and yet they didn't they didn't topple over or didn't collapse within their own footprint like building 7 so there's that that's kind of a right. interesting thing and then uh, I wanted to ask you about uh it's been long maintained that no building uh, of a similar construction to the world Tra- trade center towers 
uh, has ever been destroyed in a similar fashion, uh, although many, many, many uh, buildings of a similar construction have had fires. Uh, Professor Stephen Jones talks about, I think he holds up the example of the Windsor uh, building in Madrid, Spain, back in 2005. A 32-story building, similar construction, and fire raged there for something like 20 hours. Right. Uh, and yet did not collapse. Well, that's the thing. I mean, you're right to point it out. There have been lots of tall buildings that have been on fire before, including steel frame skyscrapers, and they did not come down like these buildings came down. None of them did. This is, again, not to be a bore, but this is what this booklet I've been talking about emphasizes. Um, They give examples of other buildings. You know, this really isn't controversial. Again, the National Institute of Standards and Technology, which carried out the official investigation of this for the U.S. government said, right, that these were um, the first tall buildings in history to have come down primarily from fire. The other interesting aspect of this case is here we have a huge crime scene. Uh, and I understand, you know, there there are toxins and so forth, and, and uh, there was an, a, certainly an urgency to, to clean it up and, and, and move it on and so forth. But, I mean, talk about tampering and destroying, obliterating evidence in a crime scene. Most of that debris, was it taken to Fresh Kills Landfill on Staten Island, or was it shipped off to China? I've heard both. Well, I, I think it's a matter of stages. I think Fresh Kills Landfill got it first. This is my understanding in any case, and uh, most of it ended up, yeah, being sent to China and recycled, which is, as you pointed out, just extraordinary. (laughs) And and there were, you know, I mean, there were specialists in fire investigation and so on who said at the time, this is is outrageous. You don't treat a crime scene this way. Um, And they started removing this material immediately. They could justify it initially by saying, oh, well, you know, we're looking for survivors. But then, you know, if that's the case, you move it somewhere and you keep it, right? And then you study it. You don't ship it off. So that when the National Institute of Standards and Technology finally got their act together to look at the steel, there was very little of it left. And then when they did look at the steel, they did not find evidence that suggested that there were fires of the temperature that would have been required to bring down the building. So the whole thing is fishy. What would you like to see? I mean, much of the physical evidence is now gone, is it not? I mean, how, how would we construct a court case now at this date uh, where much of the physical evidence has been, it would seem, deliberately destroyed? Well, I think that's one of the reasons, of course, that it was destroyed. I think the people who did this knew that um, it's really important that if this ever comes to court, it'll be too late. And, um, you know, physical evidence will be gone. Eyewitnesses will be mostly either dead or, um, you know, discouraged in one way or another from testifying. And so we're home free. And there are lots of people, including lawyers, uh, who are thinking now about how to get a court case going and have been trying to do that for years, but the court systems are sufficiently corrupt that it's difficult to do that. Let me take the eyewitnesses. I mean, I I did my first study of eyewitnesses 
I don't even remember when it was now. I think I published that first article in 2008 or something. And, um, you know, so here we are. It's 2015. It'll soon be 2016. Um, those eyewitnesses are dying, all right? I mean, a lot of them breathed in the buildings. That's, in effect, what they were breathing in. That's... We just lost the dust lady. That iconic photograph of that woman, covered head to toe in dust, just died of uh, uh, cancer. That's correct. And what we call dust, we have to remember, that's the buildings, right? That's the kind of thing they were reduced to. We're told by gravity. Okay. Uh, so. I've got to take a time out here. We'll okay. come back. Yep. Graham McQueen stays with us till the top of the hour. 9-11, 14 years later. Stay with us. All right. Graham McQueen is uh, with us for a few moments yet as uh, we continue uh, to commemorate what is uh, fast approaching the 14th anniversary of the 9-11 attacks and uh, sort of walking through some of the inconsistencies in the official version of events as they pertain to the collapse of uh, World Trade Center Towers 1, 2, and 7. Uh, I just want to step back from that a minute and sort of look big picture here. Uh, so many members now of that original 9-11 commission uh, that, that was put together in 2002, and I, I, I think they spent more on George Bush's re-election uh, barbecue, quite literally, uh, than they did funding that commission. And, and so many members, Thomas Keene and um, I think it was John Farmer, who was senior counsel, have, and others now, many of them, have, have walked away from that commission, distanced themselves from it, and said, we were not, not only were we not given the resources, uh, there was deliberate obfuscation. And that doesn't necessarily mean they're saying that it was an inside job. It just says they, they weren't allowed to do their job. Um, I think more attention needs to be made to the first, it was a joint uh, House and Senate investigation that was co-chaired by Senator Bob Graham. Uh, and he has since written a book called Security Matters, and he is screaming bloody murder about the cover-up uh, and the, the, the role of the Saudi, uh, the House of Saud, the Saudi Arabians in this whole mess. And it's heavily redacted. Apparently, he was threatened with jail if he released about a lot of this information. Uh, so much misdirection, and we seem to be looking for clues in all the wrong places. What, what, I mean, have you ever approached Senator Bob Graham to talk about this? Uh, I haven't personally approached him, no. I mean, I have friends who've tried to talk to him about it. Um, I think he is upset and angry and wants, for example, the 28 redacted pages released and uh, the role of Saudi Arabia to be acknowledged, I would be very surprised if he'd be willing to um, keep his mind open to the sort of thing that I'm suggesting. But that's okay. Like, I mean, I, I think this should be an open dialogue or debate uh, from all uh, in which every voice is permitted. I'm pretty confident that the truth will emerge if we're allowed to have that dialogue. What annoys me is the closing of the dialogue and uh, where people like me are dismissed as conspiracy nuts and told to shut up, basically. Well, you know, we're not going to shut up. That's not going to happen, folks. Um, we're not going away, and we're going to continue to pr produce evidence. Uh, I like the the theme of your program, which is go look at the evidence and make your own conclusion. So you've mentioned a couple of times that I'm a member of the 9-11 consensus panel. 
I hope that uh, the listeners will look it up. They can find it on the Internet. Just type in 9-11 Consensus Panel. There's almost 50 points now that have been reviewed by over 20 people. It's an international panel, and we've put together these points that where we think the government narrative is impossible, falls apart. Um, so look at them. We've got the evidence. Use it. Use that. Use the booklet I keep mentioning. Uh, the 14th anniversary of 9-11 is coming up. Uh, there are all kinds of events happening. Uh, watch them. Listen to them. There's one that's uh, put on, organized mainly by Canadians, and you can find it on the Internet. It'll be happening on September 11th and 12th. Just uh, type in Rethink September 11, and you'll find it. You know, I'll be one of the speakers, but there's going to be a whole bunch of interesting uh, people from Canada uh, and from the U.S. mainly, also from Switzerland. So I guess uh, I'm just saying, you know, I, I'm not really, I don't have anxiety about um, the truth. If the dialogue is permitted, if people do research on this, if universities get off their butts and let their graduate students write theses and, and they write articles and they look into this. I'm quite confident the truth will come out. This isn't rocket science. It really isn't. Well, it, it's, um, was it Schopenhauer's three stages of truth? First, it's uh, ridiculed. Uh, then it's violently opposed. And thirdly, it's accepted as self-evident. What stage do you think we're in? <laughs> um, probably the second. Violently opposed. Yeah. Interesting. And uh, and there are some hints every now and then of, of people going for oh well that's obvious of course we've always known that <laughs> so so you know I hope we get to that full fully to that third stage in my lifetime but who knows well uh, I mean we're not there yet with with the JFK assassination no. although I mean many people now accept it as self evident but they say okay so now what do we do with that we know it wasn't a single bullet theory we know it wasn't Oswald we know but we know we know we know but what are we going to do about it. Well, that's a very good point. Um, uh, JFK and 9-11 are similar in some ways. The, the official stories in both cases are absolutely absurd and violate the laws of physics. Um, and they also ignore massive numbers of eyewitnesses. So um, you're right. Even if we were able to get everyone to agree tomorrow, and actually it is a majority of the U.S. population, it has been for decades, that doesn't believe the official story of JFK. But as you say, so what? So what? Nobody's, you know, nobody's been dragged before a court for this. Um, and, you know, what, what's the uh, benefit in terms of foreign policy? Well, you know, I mean, that, that's our dilemma. I don't have a solution. 9-11 is the same. The danger is that we will eventually win over the majority of the population, but that, you know, it won't have a substantial impact. So, I mean, what do we do? Well, we resist. We do the best we can. Um, you know, we're, we have to be more clever. We have to be more assertive. We have to take this to court more frequently. We'll fail many times before we succeed. But, you know, this, this booklet I mentioned that architects and engineers are putting, I mean, they're, they're mailing it to something like 20,000 people, including a hell of a lot of engineers and architects, and including Congress people, and so on and so forth. A breakthrough of major proportions could happen. I'm not saying it will, but it could happen at any time. 
I think there are uh, two positive notes as well that's, that's, that have come out of this. And, and one, uh, there have been uh, several studies recently, university studies, uh, that have sort of looked at the mindset of people who tend to look at and believe, subscribe to official version of events, and then those who are, uh, and I would be in that camp, you would be in that camp, that are perceived as the conspiracy theorists. Right. Uh, and what they concluded was it is not the conspiracy theorists that cling to things like confirmation bias. It is those that subscribe to official versions of events. I found that rather uplifting. I don't know if you remember those studies. No, but I find it uplifting too. So by all means, send me the links. I will. The other thing, uh, and I, a gentleman that's a somewhat regular on this program, Joel Skousen, is a, uh, an editor of a, an alternative news uh, letter entitled uh, World Affairs Brief. Uh, and, and he likewise looks at 9-11 as, a, uh, as a, 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 a false flag operation. And I'm not trying to put – I don't know that you'd necessarily subscribe to that. We're just looking at the facts here. But he does look at it as a false flag. And he says that the, the whole 9-11 truth movement – really probably prevented another similar false flag because who was ever behind this, whatever rogue elements uh, were, were orchestrating this false flag, uh, saw this groundswell uh, from these grassroots groups and said, we can't do this again. We can't, we'd, we'd never be able to pull another one of these off. They, it, they, they're on to us, essentially. Right. So, so maybe people like you and your groups and others, uh, architects and engineers, uh, pilots for 9-11 Truth, and I've talked to a number of them, maybe they did have a hand in, in, in preventing another one of these false flags. Yeah, I think it's very likely. I think we've, I mean, I can't prove it, obviously, but I think we've made life difficult for them. I think when the Malaysian plane was shot down over Ukraine and they immediately tried to blame it on Russia, they didn't have as much success with that as they thought they would. I think when they blamed uh, Syria, the Syrian government for using chemical weapons, they didn't have too much luck with that. In both cases, the official stories were, sh were shown to be wrong. Um, and I think they're not having as much success because independent researchers, including, thank God, some scientists, aren't just sitting back. They're looking into it. And, and that's what we need to do is make things more difficult for them. So even in Canada, we have these things like uh, last year uh, in October, we had two quote-unquote terrorist events that had a big, uh, a big impact here. We end up with Bill C-51 passed. We start losing civil liberties. Well, I thought, I'm Canadian. Um, I think maybe I need to look into this. So I've spent months writing a report on the attacks on Parliament Hill, and I'll be releasing that very shortly in a, in a couple of weeks. And again, you know, it's because I think we cannot simply accept what they say. We have to look at it. Does it stand up or doesn't it? You're absolutely right, uh, and, and and I remember doing uh, a series of shows after the Ottawa shooting, and we talked about you know the uh, we're talk it's 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 not polite to talk about these things sometimes, or it's not nice, uh, but we had a serious gut wound there, and and almost an, an absence of any blood. Um, so there, yeah, many many questions. I, well, I look forward to reading that report, uh, Graham, when that comes out. Uh, I'll the, try and make sure you get it. Thank you. So in the meantime. Uh, what is next for uh, the 9-11 consensus panel? Uh, more, more questions that you're going to, uh, to sort of unravel? Uh, wh what's next? I don't, I don't know what's next. I'm not one of the main decision makers there. I'm just a member of the international panel. I know that uh, 
they want to get to the 50, 50th point quite soon, so we'll be able to say we got 50 points, we're close, and so there's a struggle to do that. But what the uh, decision will be after that, I don't know. I mean, with these kind of initiatives, you get to a point sometimes of diminishing returns, right? You say we've got 50 really good points, and we could keep going for the rest of our lives and get more points. But if people aren't convinced by these 50, um, you know, is there really any point going on? I reached this with my collection of eyewitnesses at the World Trade Center. You know, when I got 156 people that had witnessed explosions, I thought, well, I could spend the rest of my life and maybe get up to 200, 250, 300. But really, if people if people feel able to dismiss 156 people, most of whom are firefighters or cops, um, and a guy says, you know, I was thrown 40 feet and practically lost my hearing, and somebody tries to explain this as, oh, well, it was just, uh, you just heard, you know, columns snapping. Um, you know, in other words, if people can dismiss 156 accounts like that, they can dismiss 300. So then at some point you have to say, okay, we've gone as far as we need to go here. Now we need another initiative. And it's possible cons the consensus panel will decide that. I don't know. Uh, yeah, perhaps, uh, you know, m move your attention uh, away from the means and more to motive, opportunity. Sure. There's lots of ways we could go. All right, Graham, a real pleasure. Thanks for hanging out with me for the last hour. I look forward to receiving your report on the Ottawa shooting, and I will uh, gleefully uh, send those links to you about those uh, reports that say the conspiracy theorists are not the, uh, the crazies. It's those that cling desperately to the official version of events. I think you'll enjoy that. Thank you for having me on. It's very generous of you, and it's good to talk to you. My pleasure. Graham McQueen. Bye-bye. All right. Bye-bye. Uh, the website, folks, it's strangeplanet.ca or strangeplanet.tv. And uh, say hello on Twitter, at Richard Serrett. As always, follow the truth. You're listening to an exclusive podcast of The Conspiracy Show with Richard Serrett. Heard every Sunday night from 11 p.m. to 1 a.m. on Zoomer Radio, the new AM740. Hey, thanks for inviting me into your home, your long-haul truck, your cab, your diner, your camper... Your cabin in the woods. And a special hello to all of you listening in on our flagship station, Zoomer Radio AM 740, also simulcasting in Toronto on FM 96.7. All of you picking up the conspiracy show on one of our affiliates, and that list is growing. All of you listening to the podcast. Hey, get this. I received a, a tweet uh, yesterday or the day before from a subscriber uh, to the podcast on TuneIn the TuneIn app, and he says The Conspiracy Show now has 6.1 thousand subscribers. That's great. That's just on TuneIn. Uh, of course, the podcast is also available on iTunes and Stitcher Radio. Uh, and a hearty how-do to all of you listening in on our new app, The Conspiracy Show, which, again, is a free download available at uh, Google Play and uh, iTunes. Uh, however, and wherever you're listening, welcome. Come on in. You are among friends. Uh, very quickly, strangeplanet.tv, strangeplanet.ca. Both of those URLs are now operational. And uh, that's the landing page. Strangeplanet.tv, strangeplanet.ca. Uh, and then from there, you can go to the, uh, the radio page. Uh, there's a TV page. Speaking of the TV page, just in case you missed last week's announcement... The Conspiracy Show with Richard Serrett, the television program, season four, is debuting 
on Vision TV across Canada in October, in about a month. Brand new episodes on fluoride, GMOs, JFK, and more. Uh, and we are just working at breakneck speed to deliver these episodes. Uh, I tell you, not getting much sleep these days. I leave this studio, I go home, I grab a couple hours, and then back on the road we go. Uh, but we will deliver them, and you will see them in October across Canada, Vision TV. Special thanks to uh, Moses Neimer for all his support and encouragement over the years. Uh, there's also uh, at strangeplanet.ca dot, uh, or strangeplanet.tv a live event page, which is under construction, but it'll soon be up. Uh, and I mentioned this before. I'll do it again. L.A. Marzuli, The Nephilim Prophecy. He's the author of uh, The Nephilim Prophecy and uh, The Watchers television series. Uh, is coming to Toronto Wednesday, November the 4th. The event is called As in the Days of Noah. It'll also feature Carl Gallup's Wednesday, November the 4th, Oise Auditorium. Please go to conspiracyculture.com uh, to order tickets or give them a call. Conspiracy Culture, 416-916-1696. Uh, a colleague of mine and a, and a dear friend, really, uh, recently... Uh, this was a couple of weeks ago. He confided in me that he bought some antique chairs, brought them home, and I thought to myself, oh boy, I know where this is going. Anyway, no sooner did he get them in the uh, in the house, and this is up in Simcoe County. I'm not going to uh, name him, uh, but he started catching these fleeting glimpses of shadowy figures, he called them, out of the corners of his eyes. And I'm a bit of a smart aleck. I, the first thing I did was kid him. And I said, uh, you know, because this gentleman is getting up there in years, I said, are you sure it's not macular degeneration? Uh, and he, he probably told me what to do with that question. Uh, he was not impressed because you know, he's understandably rattled uh, by what's going on. He was dead serious. Uh, now, he didn't know. He hasn't heard the term. I had to tell them that this phenomenon is called they're called shadow people anyway he says well whatever you call them i see them they're lurking about and anyway he told me tonight before the show that he got so fed up with this that he actually took these uh, chairs out to the barn i think it was or a shed or something on the property and he threw a tarp over them uh, and they will not be brought back into the house and um, anyway we'll see he'll see if these shadow people uh, are still are, are still lurking around when he gets home tonight, and I know he's uh, listening. So this next hour is really for him, uh, because the term shadow people was first coined by Heidi Hollis, who is described as a truth seeker of the unknown. I like that truth seeker of the unknown. She's the world's foremost expert on shadow people and the hat man phenomena and actually gave them both their descriptive names in her books, The Secret War, a true story about a real alien war and shadow people, and her newest book, The Hat Man, the true story of evil encounters. Heidi Hollis, welcome to The Conspiracy Show. Good to have you here. Oh, I'm excited to talk to you. It's the first time. It's awesome. Well, it is the first time, and I don't know what uh, has taken me so long uh, to get you <laughs> on the program, but here we are. So... Yeah. Um, I mentioned my friend and, and, and uh, shadow people. Uh, does that sort of fit the M.O.? Someone brings something, some strange artifact into the house and they gleam or glom onto it and, and voila, you have an infestation. <laughs> um, that's actually not a common scenario that I hear. 
not not that it's directly linked always to a certain object um, that that started the infestation. Um, it could be any number of things. Um, remodeling, kind of kind of like how a ghost uh, haunting begins. Sometimes people start remodeling a home, and all of a sudden they start getting all of these odd things going on. Um, Sometimes uh, a person that's suffering from depression, uh, drug addiction, alcohol addiction, uh, all sorts of negative things and negative mojo, these things will will come about and uh, start wreaking havoc. Oh, that's interesting. Uh, well, first, I, I'd never heard before that remodeling, you know, I yeah. guess you're talking about tearing, tearing up the hardwood, moving yeah. walls, tearing down walls, that that could cause paranormal activity. Oh, yeah. Uh, what's going on there? What's the connection, do you suppose? You know, when it comes to that, a lot of people seem to attribute it to, uh, you know, a ghost that's unhappy with what you're doing with their former home or something like that. And I tend to find that where there's a a ghostly haunting, that there's generally uh, a black shadowy mass that's also witnessed around a ghostly haunting. So... Um, if you get one, you seem to get the other. And the uh, the drug addiction or depression. Now, are those symptoms? Are they the symptoms or uh, of of some sort of a paranormal activity? Uh, in other words, is there a causal effect? Or uh, I mean, how does that work exactly? If someone in the house is depressed or they're 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 abusing drugs or alcohol, how does that work? Um, if for some reason it 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 appears that uh, it, it could be one way or the other. It can be that the shadow person is encouraging the activity uh, of the person to spiral downward, begin taking drugs, drinking, uh, all sorts of uh, things that that are along uh, a negative route. Um, it's kind of like the devil sitting on your shoulder saying, "Oh, don't choose that way. Go this way. Come here." You know. Um, so it does seem to be uh, also that uh, these these negative things will. Uh, how can I say? not only inspire, but be the cause, or, you know, a person is the negative thing that they're attracted to. So it just, it, it, it's interesting to me when, when people write me, I've gotten thousands of stories from all over the world for years now, and uh, it's interesting to me when people know what the trigger is, or they know what they were doing wrong that attracted the thing to come to them. So I, I always find that interesting, you know, it's like they're, they're, they're asking me, you know, what is it? You know what I did this one time? Or, uh, oh, I just, you know, started, you know, getting into a lot of arguments uh, with my, my wife because I was cheating and I didn't want her to know. And it's just like, dude, you already know what caused this. You know, what attracted this thing? And and I always tell people, too, it's um, if you don't know what, what caused it, you know, it's a good idea to, to try to figure out, you know, what was so darn interesting from, the, you know, that this negative thing came looking your way. So. It sounds like they're feeding off negative energy, which reminds me, I don't know if you're a Trekkie, but uh, it reminds me of that Star Trek uh, episode, and I'm talking uh, Shatner and Nimoy, not the next generation. Yeah, yeah. I'm that old. <laughs> but it, it, it reminds me of that episode. It was called Day of the Dove, and, and the, the uh, this entity was was thriving off the the negative energy between uh, the the Federation and the Klingons. I, I, I won't take you know I won't take that metaphor too far. But anyway, it just occurred mm-hmm. to me. But the negative energy is 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 interesting. Now, give me a physical description uh, of these shadow people. Okay, for, for the record. Star Trek over Star Wars any day or night, okay? Um, <laughs> Thank you for that. <laughs> just 
be no one. I love my Star Wars, but Star Trek, I'm sorry. I'm just big-time Trekkie. Love it. Um, so, <laughs> um, you know, when it comes to the shadow people, I, on my website, HeidiHollis.com, I have a gallery of the different types and shapes and forms that the shadow people are seen in. Um, I personally witnessed <laughs> too many of them. Um, but to, to describe them, they are a black, shadowy mass that can take on most any form. Um, sometimes you'll see them as a shadow cloud, um, a shadow streak. Uh, you'll think like a big bug went past you, and you're like, hold on, there's no big bug in here. Um, then also you'll see them as a shadow cat, which ugh, I had some horrible experiences with that. Um, you'll see them as uh, probably my least favorite, Shadow spiders, I saw them so often, it was absolutely terrifying, horrifying, and disgusting at the same time. Um, and then something that I... I shadow spiders, are we ta- we're talking about, we're not talking about little tiny spiders here, are we, are we talking about large shadow spiders? <laughs> you know, I've seen them as little, like many little black shadowy spiders, but I often saw them as things that were several feet across to a foot across, um... I, I once looked up and saw one take up the whole ceiling of my bedroom, which was absolutely, I, I just can't even describe the kind of fear that, I mean, I felt like the Hobbit in Lord of the Rings, you know, with the spiders coming. Exactly. I mean, absolutely yeah. horrible. Oh, dear, that is the um, worst nightmare for many people. Truly. And, you, you know, probably the most common scenario that I woke up to was, you know, something hitting my bed and, you know, it darn shadow spider would have fallen from the ceiling and hit my bed and start crawling and with every step that it's taking to come towards my face it's moving the sheet or blanket i mean and then to wake up to that and just see these rows of eyes and i mean sometimes they were so distinctive there was just no mistake and it's a giant freaking spider on me so So you um, can perceive (laughs) eyes i mean it's not just a black mass you can perceive uh features I could at times, not always, not always, um, but yeah, and um, I, I think probably one of the, how can I say, the, the most common form that they'll come in when they really mean business is something that I call like the head and shoulder shadow, not that they have a dermatitis issue, but <laughs> <laughs> it, they literally look like a man a really husky built man with its head directly connected to its shoulders and uh but i've I've heard of varying accounts of these kind of distorted looking shadowy uh, figures where they're really skinny and overly long neck or or something really odd Um, so they do stretch and distort at times and uh what's really horrific is when you see their glowing red eyes uh, beaming out from... Oh, yeah, that would be the capper for me. Uh, you yeah. had me at shadow people. We didn't need to get into the red eyes. However, we will uh, continue to discuss. I'm, I'm fascinated by what you mean. When they mean business, they send yeah. the head and shoulder people. We'll find out what that means exactly. Heidi Hollis is with us, truth seeker of the unknown, and her latest uh, book is The Hat Man, The True Story of Evil Encounter. Stay with us here on The Conspiracy Show. My name is Richard Sarah. Don't go away. Welcome back. Heidi Hollis gave the Shadow People and the Hat Man their creepy names. And uh, she is here with us now. The website, HeidiHollis.com, H-E-I-D-I, Hollis, H-O-L-L-I-S, HeidiHollis.com. 
Uh, and her latest book is The Hat Man, The True Story of Evil Encounters. And there he is right there on the cover. Perhaps many of you uh, listening have seen The Hat Man. Uh, I want to. I do want to get back to the, uh, the what you mentioned before the break, Heidi, and that is when they get serious, they send the hat, the head and shoulder people. I, I want to find out what you you mean about that. Well, let's let's take care of that first, and then I, I want to I want to talk about all of these hat man sightings in England. Yeah, yeah. Um, well, when it comes to uh, the shadow people, the head and shoulder one is uh, kind of like their form that they really, really, truly are. Um, as they come out. So they could try to fool you and look like a black cat, uh, shadow spiders I mentioned earlier, and different shapes and forms, even black orbs I've seen um, that they'll take. So, But when they get spotted, when they get seen, when they don't plan on being seen, uh, which is like the first time that I experienced them, uh, they'll become quite threatening and uh, confrontational and take on this huge that I call the head and shoulder shadow form. Ah, okay. So tell me about your, your first encounter when you... Uh, it sounds like you're saying they were, they were observing you, but they didn't intend on you finding them out, and they weren't happy about that. Exactly. Um, you know, the first one that I'd seen, uh, I actually saw it following myself and a good friend of mine as we we're walking in broad daylight to her, her uncle's house from her home. And I was staying at her family's home at, at the time and walking along this path, and I'm seeing something in my peripheral vision, and I'm like, what am I seeing here? I'm seeing this black mass kind of jump from a tree to a bush and kind of following us along this path. And and my friend's just talking and walking and keeps on going, and I'm like, wow, you know, what is this? And uh, we reach our destination, we come to come back, and uh, this darn thing followed us all the way back, doing the same thing, and by the time I reached her home, I was completely beside myself. I'm like, I don't know what it is that I'm seeing, but I just saw this black thing following us, and I I grabbed a piece of paper, and I drew the head and shoulder shadow-looking thing, and and I'm thinking my friend is just going to start laughing, and, you know, oh my gosh, this girl is nuts, and totally stunned me when she looks at the paper and is like, Oh, that guy. Yeah, I don't know. He's been following me since I was a kid. Oh, hey, Dad, my look, word. This, the guy's back. <laughs> oh, my word. But, but, she didn't, like, but she didn't see it when you saw it. She did not. She did not at that time. And, uh, you know, this thing, oh, my gosh, it, I, I just, it's just absolutely horrifying. I was staying on the second floor of their, of their home, and it was an attic bedroom. And it's still broad daylight. I had to grab something soon after I drew this and, and pointed it out to uh, my friend and uh, go upstairs. Didn't need to turn on the light. The, the, the first room you go into is completely black. There's no windows or anything. But my, my bedroom door was open, and there was light still coming in from these very low uh, windows. I go in there, grab what I needed to, went to turn around to leave the room, and lo and behold, that darn thing was there blocking my way out of the room. and um, The head and shoulders guy. The head and shoulders guy. I mean, he must have been eight feet tall. I don't know. He was huge. And I just cannot even describe the amount of terror that hits a person when something out of a horror movie is there before you. And I just knew somehow it's like if I swing at this thing, it's going to get me. If I run, it's going to get me. <laughs> and... I, it's weird. It's a really strange thing to say, but 
I felt that this thing wanted to rip my throat out, and, and I knew it wanted to kill me. Did it, it make any threatening? My fear. Did it make any threatening gestures? No, he. You know, he was hulking over me. It was literally, you know, just, you know, like just burrowing over me, and I was like leaning back, and I mean, glowing red eyes and all, and I'm like, <sighs> I took a deep breath, and I just kept a prayer rolling in my head as I closed my eyes. I knew if I didn't get out of that room, I was going to die, either pass out or something. And I just walked through it, slowly, steadily, methodically, and walked through it to get out of that room. And to get through that big, dark room in the next room was so difficult, and I just felt it just heaving over me all the way. And by the time I reached the stairs, I mean, my legs were just jelly. I just fumbled all the way down in a thud, and my friend comes to the door and, you know, sees me, like, in this pile at the bottom, and she's like, are you okay? And... I just had no air, and I'm just like, it's upstairs, you know. I, I was, I couldn't believe it. this thing was that upset that I'd seen it. I didn't know this at the time, but I, I now see the pattern. When these things get spotted, uh, and they don't want to be spotted, they get really angry and they get really aggressive. Uh, and so you literally passed right through this shadow person. I, I did, and I mean, this thing was very, uh, like, you could not see through it. It was really, really thick. Mm. So, are, are they? Are they? Do they have? Are they three dimensional? Uh, do they have you know width and 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 um, depth to them, or are they, or are they simply uh, two dimensional? You know, it, at times uh, they can make themselves appear as of what they'd like. Honestly, mm-hmm. um, sometimes they disappear as a shadow on a wall. Uh, other times they they're very much. <laughs> They look very solid. I mean, it, like like my shadow spiders, um, shadow cat experiences. Uh, just you know, it really can fool you sometimes to thinking that it, it's something seriously real. And and uh, typically, though, you 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 spot them out of the corner of your eye for a fleeting moment, and people may think, well, that's uh, you know, I don't know. Uh, maybe it's uh, just macular degeneration, as I mentioned earlier, or it, they'll explain it away, but. But you, I mean, how, if, if, if you see one fleeting in the corner of your eye, I mean, how do you catch a glimpse of them? Is it, is it tricky? You know, I, I, our peripheral vision is a little bit more sensitive to the differences between lights and dark. So I think that's why people initially will spot them out that way. But oftentimes you'll turn your head and they'll, they're still there. Um, they're getting bolder. Um, they're they're goofing up more, and as some people say, the veil is getting thinner between our world and theirs, and uh, so they're becoming more confrontational. Like I don't know to beat people into silence, choke them into silence, uh, scare them into silence. Mm. Um, because I always say, you know, if you could see your enemy coming, I mean, you can <laughs> defend yourself. They like to hide for a reason. But but, but uh, you you were able to pass right through this one. So is it yeah. possible that they? I mean, has anyone ever been physically attacked by a shadow person? Oh gosh, yes. Tell yes. me about they're, that. I think their favorite pastime thing is to jump on people's chests and choke them. Um, I, I and it's and it's interesting too. Now this is the sick part. So when they really want to rile a person up, and I mean, people will feel pin. They're being choked. Sometimes they see a black shadow on them. Other times they don't see anything, but those, 
I've had this pattern, and several people that have written me about this, like, I didn't see anything on me, but you know how you could kind of see your shadow on the bedroom wall, and they would see this shadowy mass on top of them, on the on, cast on the wall. So it, it's, it, but the, the interesting thing, and it's, it's oddly fascinating that, uh, you know, these people, that this happens to repeatedly, where they're being attacked by these things, which, which is, there's some people that get attacked more often than the next, and uh, it, it, the patterns follow a suit, I guess you could say sometimes, with why it is that it happens the way it is. But, and some of these people start to give up and give in, like no more screaming, no more panicking, no more fighting, and they just let go. Like, I'm going to die, and they, they kind of accept it. And the second that they do, the shadow person disappears. Like, well, this isn't any fun anymore. Like, they they were feeding off from that negative energy that they were getting out of this person. And I always like to think that shadow people really dig amusement parks right underneath the roller coasters or uh, something. <laughs> yes. And just, you know, eat it all up or something. Uh, and uh, is there, do they make any sound? Uh, shadow people are not really known for being very talkative, but they do growl. Um, sometimes they're known to whisper. Uh, so I, I have had, I've actually had quite a few reports of them uh, whispering and uh, having a growl coming from them. And you mentioned this veil that's thinning uh, between this world and I mean, are, so these are interdimensional beings. Where where do you think they're coming from? Um, you know, I, I think that they are interdimensional, I think that they're able to come and go as they please, very much like alien beings do. Um, from the beginning, when I first started discussing the whole topic of shadow people, I came at it from someone who was not a ghostly investigator or anything like that, but from somebody who had seen UFOs and experienced a couple of odd alien creatures, and how the shadow people are more mingled with aliens uh, in general. Hmm. So um, they're not originally from here. That's interesting. Okay, we'll, we'll, we'll talk about the aliens in a moment, but I want to just circle back a little bit because you, you talked about <clears throat> the shadow people jumping on people's chests, choking them, and of course that sounds like another phenomenon that, that uh, we, we've talked about many times on this program, and that is, of I course, is the old hag syndrome. Oh, the old hag, yeah. Yeah, I mean, it almost sounds like the the the, the shadow now. And, and you mentioned aliens. It almost sounds like there is a common denominator uh, underpinning many uh, paranormal activities. Whether it's old hag, whether it's the alien abduction phenomena. Are you suggesting that the shadow people are responsible for many of these? Yes, honestly. Yes. Um, you know, a lot of people try to figure, you know, what is this What is this element? What is it that's connecting uh, all these different forces? I mean, you hear the praying mantis aliens, you hear of the gray beings, you hear of the, uh, the Nordics and, and grays and all that, all these different types of beings. And it's like, what's their agenda? What are they up to? And it, it's, it's kind of a complicated story about what it is that, that they're doing fully and how they're all fully connected. But uh, it's it's kind of like they're on one side of the fence versus <laughs> the good guys. So these are the bad guys, and the the communicator between them is the the shadow people, the the puppet master, I guess you could call it. 
But uh, it's something that I detailed in my book called The Secret War, uh, based on uh, their 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 connections, their 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 agreements, even I guess you could say uh, an it, agreement it, between uh, the the so called aliens. Because uh, I, I I get where you're coming from. I mean, I think mm-hmm. I don't think we want to call them extraterrestrials in this context, because uh, and I, which is what a notion that I subscribe to. Uh, which gets you uh, taken off the Christmas card list from a lot of ufologists, believe me. If you start talking about, you know, uh, demonic entities or interdimensional entities rather than extraterrestrials, they don't like that, the many in the UFO community. Uh, But you're saying there is some sort of a, uh, a what, a detente, um, an alliance between these shadow people and these aliens? Not quite an alliance between them, but more like they're a dominated species, these different beings that are being used to uh, infiltrate. Um, the agreements that go on are of their victims, <laughs> sadly. It doesn't seem like it would be something that a person would actually agree to, but when you you think about it, it's like the, the invitation uh, to allow a vampire into your home. It's It's like they need an ounce of agreement, and it doesn't matter how it is that they get it. And, and I always give the example of uh, you have a dream, and your, your sister's knocking at the door, and you, you get this feeling like, gosh, this doesn't seem like my sister. You're looking through the peephole, but you go against your better thoughts, and, and you open up the door anyways. Oh, but it's one of the, those guys, and, you know, it's not your sister. Well, they got your permission. They cheated. It was a dream, but they got it. And uh, they kind of go with that. And people are like, well, I would never agree to such a thing. I'm like, well, who would? But uh, these things are, are granted, getting granted. These, these, these access points are getting granted without our knowledge. And they just need to be refuted and blocked and uh, not allowed anymore. Uh, we, we're coming up on a break here, but let's get the conversation started, and then we'll pick it up on the other side. Heidi Hollis is with us. We're talking shadow people. Uh, the... Um and this gets into the the uh, the topic of hat the hat man now for is the hat man the same type of entity is the hat man a shadow person i made the mistake when i first started speaking of the hat man that i called him the hat man shadow and uh, he is not a shadow person and uh i've been trying to take back that mistake ever since and i'm doing doing my best but he is not a shadow person all right on that note we'll uh Reconnoiter on the other side, and he'll uh, he'll spell it out. What is the Hat Man? What is the difference between the Hat Man and Shadow People? Heidi Hollis stays with us on the Conspiracy Show. My name is Richard Serrett. Stay with us. Welcome back. Heidi Hollis is with us. We're talking uh, Shadow People, the Hat Man, uh, and there have been uh, there's an I don't know if I'm mixing up terms here, but there's a, there's a, been a, a spate of sightings in. Um, in the UK, they're calling him the Spooky Slender Man. Is that the Hat Man? Uh, you know, I believe it is uh, the Hat Man. The Slender Man seems to me to be uh, a, a fictional spinoff of actual Hat Man encounters. Uh, I don't know how that came about. I mean, they're, they're saying it was a fantasy-driven type of fictional character um, made up, but I, I don't know. But the Hat Man is something that's been going on for centuries, appearing all over the world, uh, doing the same thing, looking quite similar as he does still today. Sometimes, uh, back in the day, I mean, riding a black horse. Uh, he is, uh, 
he's an entity that I was really, really reluctant to speak on for some time because I, it was it was so different from uh, shadow people encounters, uh, and I had come forward and already spoken on him probably just being another form that shadow people could take and because I had not seen him and I still personally have not seen him he's been seen behind me he's been seen sitting next to me he's been seen in a mirror uh, near me and it's it's something that uh, I am lucky to not have seen it's not like he hasn't tried to show up I just wouldn't look at him <laughs> mm. what is it about I you give him that respectful fear he wanted out of me what is it about you Heidi that, that that seems to attract these watchers or shadow people or hat man you know I'm happy to say that they hate my guts and feelings are mutual mm-hmm. <laughs> so, um, it's it's uh I think that they don't like that I'm informing people about their existence uh-huh. and how to get rid of them, protect themselves against them, and not take the crap that they dish out to them because what it is they're doing to people and and disrupting their their peace i I mean you know this is the the another horrible element that i I have to share when it comes to the hat man. He loves to go after children, oh dear, and I don't care how young. I, I have a, a person that wrote me, you know, some people that have that really freakish, like, memory, and they're really young, and, and I had a, a guy that wrote me who remembered when he was, like, 18 months old, and the hat man having taken him and grabbed him and his mother witnessing it and, and the whole horrific ordeal that, that occurred around it. I mean, it's... They can grab you. Oh, hat man does, yes. Oh, yeah. He can grab oh, you. Yeah. Oh, dear. Okay, so That's let's spell it out. What is this hat man a character all about, and how is he different from shadow people? The hat man wears clothes. Shadow people do not wear clothes. So when people send me pictures of shadow people wearing clothes, I'm like, that's yes, not a shadow person. Um, <laughs> uh, they'll take on different forms of, of animals and, and things, but they don't wear clothes generally. Um, hat man wears a three-piece suit. Uh, if you could see the details, some people see even the white shirt underneath, a chain watch on his hip, uh, a cape or a trench coat. Uh, he's been known to wear a top hat to a gaucho hat, and even derby hats and cowboy hats. So he does mix it up sometimes. Uh, His presence is one that not just makes a person fearful, but makes them in fear of their very soul. Uh, His look, his glance, and, and without a single action coming from him, and to have people catch a glimpse of him tipping his hat towards them. I don't know what's the deal with that. Like, an acknowledgement, I see you there, and I'm going to let you know I see you, and I got your number, and these people are scarred for life, and they're terrified that he'll show up again. He doesn't have to do anything. Shadow people, okay, people will catch a glimpse, and they're like, ooh, that was freaky. You know, it doesn't change their whole, you know, life around as uh, encounters with the hat man. And yeah, he's in your man, face. He's in your face. He's in your face, and he doesn't care if you caught him. Honestly, and, and, and have have are there many documented cases of of people catching the Hat Man in the act of attacking their children? There have actually been uh, quite a few sent to me. I again, I have thousands of emails and stories of of him doing absolutely horrific things. Um, I think probably one of the worst that I I'd heard of. This is this is just, I mean, I don't even know. So this is a girl, I want to say she was eight years old or something like that. 
she saw the hat man nightly who would come up to her. He likes to talk, by the way. He's very chatty. Oh, okay. And we will talk. Uh, The music is telling us it's time to to break. Just for a moment, we'll come back. Heidi Hollis will tell us about uh, these horrific hat man encounters with children, folks. He goes after the little ones. Be uh, forewarned and forearmed. And uh, we'll give you some details on uh, how you can arm yourself, too. Back with more of The Conspiracy Show. Don't you dare go away. Heidi Hollis stays with us. The Hat Man, the true story of evil encounters. Make no mistake, the Hat Man is evil. Uh, And you were telling us before the break, Heidi, that uh, he has no uh, problem with going after little ones. So, um, No, he does not. He he has no limits. And one of the worst that I heard was... uh, of a, of a young girl, about seven, eight years old, she kept telling her mother, you know, the hat man keeps telling me he's going to get me every night. Mom didn't believe her, locked her in her room, took her light bulbs out because she kept trying to keep her light on, and then wondered why she was so quiet this, that night, goes in there. She, was, she slept on the top bunk bed of, her, uh, uh, bed of her bunk bed and was found dangling by her neck between the two very thin bars that were on her bunk bed. There's no way that she could have physically done that. Oh, dear Lord. They had to rip apart her bed, resuscitate her. As soon as she woke up, she screamed, he had me. Oh, she survived. So, okay. Yeah. Good. He right. has no limits, and he really doesn't care. Uh, he apparently enjoys getting a kick out of scaring people to death and making them fear for their very souls. Uh, I, I tell people, too, you know, who feel helpless against shadow people, alien abduction, uh, the hat man, anything and everything out of the ordinary that's negative is to realize their human potential is nothing to be messed with because these things come like a thief in the night for a reason to take advantage when our guard is down. If they could take us on fully as who we are, they would come as we are. But no, they try to beat you down, come in your dreams and your nightmares, wearing you down so when you see them, you really freak out, you feel helpless, oh, I'm paralyzed. Uh, if you realize hold on, they're just telling me I'm paralyzed. You're not paralyzed. I, I've not been paralyzed in, in the presence of these things. I've been fortunate enough to be able to react, uh, including when some aliens came by and I picked one up and choked one. I'm sorry to say, but I did. Um, <laughs> oh, you've got to tell me about your your, uh, your close encounter. So there was an attempted alien abduction, but I'm guessing, you know, y- 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 these are not it's aliens. So well. These are not aliens. <laughs> Yeah, I woke up to hearing noise in my apartment. I lived alone. I, I thought somebody had broken in. I, I was adrenaline pumping. I'm like, oh, my gosh, i got to run for the door. I, I really thought something was going to go on. And lo and behold, there's the, these creatures the size of a four-year-old going through my stuff. And I'm like, suddenly, you know, kind of the, the fear left me and curiosity's like, what the heck are these bald-headed four-year-olds doing in my place? And and I'm asking them, who are you? What are you doing here? And and they're not responding. They turn and look at me. And I notice that they are the typical gray alien beings with the big bulbous head, gray colored, uh, big dark black eyes, almond shaped. And, you know, two slits for a nostril, a slit for a mouth, but their mouth was in the shape of an O, oh, like, oh, crap. You know, she's up. <laughs> and I grab my stuff out of their hands and I put this down. Nobody's answering me. And then, Oh, it was just a crazy scenario. There were so many in there, and um, I, one of them had clothes on, suspenders, like a, a jumpsuit of, of a sort, and I grabbed it by its suspenders, and um, 
it turned out that that one didn't quite look like the others. This one was kind of a, a fleshy color with a little tuft of curly red hair on top of its head, big eyes, but they were human. And, you know, I'm like asking all these things, you know, who are you? You know, what are you doing here? Nobody's answering me. And I'd accidentally knocked one down uh, while I was going into my bathroom because the light was on and, you know, all these beings are in my apartment. And uh, that's where I grabbed that other one. And this other one got knocked to the ground. He was behind the door. And, and that's when I hear this one on the ground answer my question. I'm your nephew. I'm your nephew. And I've got this one in my hands questioning it. And I'm like look at this one on the ground, and I'm like, you're my nephew. And I watched this thing shapeshift before my eyes into my nephew with a baby blue suit and an afro. Now, my nephew was about the same age as I was, and he looked like him when he was 10. I said, you're not my nephew. You look like him when he was 10, and he's in his 20s now. I'm like, what is going on here? You know, it was it, such a strange scenario. But the interesting part is, now, before this, I had seen the one definite shadow person that I saw at my friend's place and the next day nearly my place was infested with shadow people after these grays had left oh they and left they yeah I wanted to ask you how did that end they just they left they, they you know I so I just got done choking this one right and I go to put it down on the ground because when I got a good look at it it looked like a kid you know but a distorted looking thing like a half human half alien hybrid and this thing was shaking so badly that I had picked it up and shaken it. I've never abused kids or anything. I, mean, I felt bad. It felt like I just scared a kid. I went to put it down. I'm like, it's okay. I'm not going to hurt you. And Richard says, I'm not kidding. I offered it a cookie. Oh, <laughs> I Lord. Went go, I went to go get it a cookie to calm it down. The poor little thing was freaking out. What, when I turned, you, you mentioned hybrids. I mean, are yeah. you, do you think that they are actually hybrids? Human? Oh, that one was. That one looked half human, half alien. Hmm. Same big bulbous head flesh-colored freckles, little tuft of curly red hair on top of its head, and big blue human eyes. Uh, that one definitely looked quite, quite human but awkward. And uh, when I went to go get the cookie to calm down this little one that I terrorized, um, all the others that were in my apartment had formed at the door into like a V. And I like, you know, I looked at them like, Oh, what are you guys up to now? You know, I've got oh, four-year-olds are going to beat me up. Um, and, mm. and like at the count of three, they all leaned forward. And I don't know if they did a Vulcan mind melt, but I was back in my bed. And it was the next morning. And I'm like, whoa, what on earth? You know, what was this? It, I know they didn't get me. I don't know. You know, honestly, during a lot of the stuff that I've experienced, I felt quite protected um, seeing a lot of odd lights in my apartment that would literally go after shadow people, a ball of light that looked alien in nature, attacking shadowy things. And, I mean, just, just really, and that's why I called my book The Secret War, because I looked, it looked like I was experiencing a war in my apartment. And I had a college roommate who did a lot of the graphics that you're showing tonight. And uh, the things we were seeing, I had friends stay over just to watch the, the light show. You know, I'm like, what is this? I'm a college student. I'm just hmm. trying to get through school and just experiencing the, the craziest things. Well, and, it's uh, funny you mentioned that. Uh, I, I remember seeing some NASA footage. Uh, I'm not sure if it was taken from the International Space Station, but we see uh, what looks like these UFOs sort of chasing each other. And, and I'm, I'm wondering, 
that plus what's playing out in your apartment. Uh, are, you know, is this angels versus demons? Essentially, yes. You know, people call them different things, but it doesn't really matter. What was fascinating to me is later on, I got exposed to a more positive alien being who started communicating to my college roommate, who totally was, uh, she was Pentecostal, very religious, didn't want anything to do with any of this alien stuff, don't talk to me about it, God's on my side, all this stuff. And she essentially became almost like a channel to this alien out of nowhere, who made itself available, and I, I just I didn't know what to make of it at first. I had been fortunate enough to have witnessed it before, where people who were trying to be hypnotically regressed, and instead of being regressed or recounting a, an alien encounter, the alien started speaking through the person, and, and it was just a, the strangest things, and, and that's what happened to my friend, and that's also in my book, The Secret War, and how this being made itself available and, and didn't just pour out answers. And, you know, we had to ask the right questions in order to get the right answers, and this stuff started coming forward about shadow people, what was going on, and, and you know, why my apartment was lighting up with activity, and, and it was just the strangest thing. Okay, and, I, we, uh, we just have a few moments, uh, Heidi, and I have to ask you, uh, because we've talked about the hat man terrorizing children. We've talked about shadow people terrorizing people. How do we protect ourselves? Well, that's a, another area that I delve into with my books and writing and everything, because having faith to be able to back up what it is that you're experiencing, if you're seeing something the likes of the devil or demons, you better hope that you got some faith behind you or you might as well throw a shoe at them. So that's why I have a, I have a slew of other books, uh, Jesus is No Joke, and uh, I have the other F-word.com. I have another book coming out on, on faith. That's what that site is about. And just to, to get people to, to realize that they could call on whatever it is that they feel was positive in their belief and toss that at them. I had to learn to go back to my roots of sitting on a church pew and being able to pull that faith up out of me to fight these things, because... It's amazing to me how they react to the name of Jesus. I don't, I don't care if they're from another so-called planet, these aliens. <laughs> you know, I'm like, Jesus didn't get out. And they leave. Hat man, shadow people, you know. But there has to be some oomph behind it. You've got to have some faith behind it. And there's also uh, other processes that I explain in the book, uh, both books, Hat Man uh, book and um, uh, The Secret War and Jesus No Joke, on how you need to bless your home and, and, and learn how to pray differently. Don't take out time for prayer. Make prayer happen all the time. You know, I have a book called Picture Prayers on how to do that. And, you know, people are like, well, why do you bounce back and forth? Isn't it confusing? You know, you're Christian and da da, da. I'm like, no, it's quite clear. You know, there's good guys, there's bad guys. And you have to find the balance without getting all religious, guru-ish, you know, but just keeping it real and on the level and, uh, you know, hoping that people learn how to take care of their, their souls and realize that they're there because these dark things are placing bets on us that we're not going to figure them out. But I've got the, the info on them, and I'm willing to share, and I, I do my best to try to help when I can. So I always welcome people to send their stories to me to experience anything out of the ordinary, from holy encounters to shadow people. Uh, write me to dasoutlander, D-A-S-outlander, at gmail.com, and I do read them off on any—I uh, do three radio shows, I, and I have a good time 
trying to help people on this stuff. So. Give us the email I, again. I, if I could do it on my sleep, I would. Give us <laughs> the email. Give us the email again, Heidi. Duffoutlander at gmail.com, D-A-S-Outlander at gmail, and uh, HeidiHollis.com and the other F-word.com. I'm a cartoonist as well, so I, I'm doing books with my cartoons and it, trying to get the message across. I, I have one for kids, uh, FickleFinders.com talking about these different topics as well. All right, well. you wear a lot of hats, but you're not the hat man. <laughs> I am not, yeah. <laughs> All right, so Heidi. Anything I can do, you know, to, to get the word out there without making this a freaky topic, but keeping it real, that's, All right. that's my goal. I appreciate your time. Thanks for hanging out with me, Heidi. Thank you. This is fun. Heidi Hollis. All right, uh, my thanks to uh, Matthew and uh, Albert, all of you listening at home. Don't be afraid. There is nothing concealed that won't be revealed and nothing hidden that won't be made known. What you hear in the dark, speak in the light. What I say in a whisper, proclaim from the housetops. Move over, Aphrodite. I'm coming home. Good night. This podcast is proudly produced and presented by the Zoomer Podcast Network, home of great podcasts like Marilyn Lightstone Reads, Idea City on the Air, and The Garden Show.